Well, I think the poetry is is wordplay at its heart. Poetry is all about the sound quality of words meeting with their meaning. So uh, words actually almost being personified to communicate even more than just a simple sentence. So literary devices are really at the heart of poetry. They're these, these tools that a poet uses to dress up his writing and make it speak on many different levels. So I think with, with little kids, um, giving them the idea that the, the poem is a living thing that's singing to them and that it's got a sound quality that they can appreciate first before they need to dive in and understand the meaning, it is part and parcel with the same idea of discussion, that you're listening first and looking for things to delight in. The sound of the word itself is the very beginning of a poetry class. Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by Megan Andrews. Megan is the principal of the Center for Lit Online Academy, as well as an instructor of the elementary and junior high literature and writing classes. She holds a BA from Hillsdale College and currently lives in Spokane, Washington, in a little apartment just off a park as vast as the 100-acre wood. There, her evening rambles through the maples make every day a writing day and every swing set a chance for verbal acrobatics. How delightful. <laughs> I, mean, I am so glad that you are here. I've been looking forward to our conversation. So I know that was like Thank your you. official biography, but you want to yes. tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences in education as teacher and student. Oh my goodness, of course. I am so excited to be here. Um, I am an English nerd. That's the most important thing that you should know about me. I have loved English since I was very little and um, grew up homeschooled, one of six kids out in the country. And there was tons of uh, room for the imagination, or as Anne Shirley would say, scope for the imagination out there in the country. So I grew up writing little poems and um, loved poetry classes with my mom and went on to be an English major at Hillsdale um, and kind of found a second love pursuing that at love of teaching specifically. So it kind of transferred my love for language and my love for imagery transferred over into wanting to share that with little kids. So I did a teaching apprenticeship and worked with seventh graders and then high schoolers as well, and have since taught kids of all ages. So it's really fun to watch my love of the art turn into a love of the students as well. So now I'm a teacher and couldn't be happier to be kind of floundering around in words all the time. And I think it's so important for students to have a teacher who is passionately delighted about the subject yes. matter that they're teaching. So that love, I think, is so contagious, mm -hmm. often even more than exactly like specifics of what we're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think so, too. I remember, actually, um, I think my love of English really came from my mom 
who was so comfortable with the written word and hated math so much. So my memory of English classes was just delightful. And she would like bake cookies and we'd drink coffee and think about words for hours and we'd never want class to end. And math, it was full of tears, mine and hers at the same time. <laughs> I think many homeschool moms can relate to that experience. <laughs> Well, let's chat a little bit about introducing young learners and young readers specifically to the joys of the literary life here. Yeah. So you are teaching elementary and junior high lit, and I would love mm -hmm. to hear, like, what are some of the big ideas, the main questions you're wanting your students to be thinking about? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, the biggest things that we emphasize at Center for Lit, well, the big idea, really, we borrowed from Mortimer Adler. It's the idea of writing and reading being participating in a great conversation. And I think that for little kids in particular, I love to come to a class and emphasize how you're polite in a conversation. The first thing that you're required to do when you come into a conversation with a grown-up is listen. And you listen respectfully with all of your attention, expecting that he's got something important to tell you that he's speaking to you with a goal in mind. There's like a beating heart of his message that you can understand if you are patient to listen. So respect and listening well is the first thing that we emphasize. But then in addition, I love to draw out delight as well. So that's the second principle that I love to fill my classes with. Uh, respect for the author first, but then delight, not only in his art form, how he's decided to present that beating heart or that theme to you, but in, in the way that he's chosen to do it, the word choices and the format and all of the opportunity for you as a student to copy and emulate and have fun the way that the artist did. So respect and delight are my two themes. And I recognize that respect, but well, both aspects, but thinking about yeah. the respect aspect, I know is something you guys have brought up on your mm. podcast, which oh, yeah. side note, everyone should listen to Bibliophiles. It's awesome. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> but we like you guys talk about love of neighbor as being something that applies to the respect that we're showing towards Absolutely. authors or even in some of the kind of little bonus episodes as we think about mm -hmm. people in the past and history, right? And I think Definitely. that's so important to understand that loving our neighbor doesn't just mean the people in our living room or the people mm -hmm. we know in real life, but it can apply outside of that to the people that we're learning about or yes. reading from in the past. So really mm -hmm. important. Well, can you give maybe an example or two from a children's book, maybe that we would yeah. already be familiar with, maybe some questions or how you would approach mm. thinking about that book? Mm, absolutely. Um, well, I was just thinking of favorite books that I have had fun teaching and emphasizing this with the students. And one of my favorites is Gary Schmidt's Straw into Gold. Have you read that one before? I have not read that one. I actually read his The Wednesday Wars Oh, yeah. uh, several years ago, I think maybe after I heard his interview on the Bibliophiles mm -hmm. podcast, and I loved that book so much, I came down and like handed it to my older children. I'm yeah. like, you <laughs> must read this book right now. Well, and I give you a present. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they've gone on to read many more of his, of his works, but I don't know that book had such a mm. precious part in my heart. I was like, I'm afraid to read yes. anything else he's written in case I don't I like know. it as much. Oh my goodness. Okay. I totally identify with that, but don't be afraid. All of his works are the same in that quality. The feeling of, oh my goodness, that was beautiful. 
and um, poignant. There's always something really profound that he's talking about at the heart of his stories. And with Straw into Gold, it's a fairy tale. It's a retelling of the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale. So a lot of the boys in my class roll their eyes at the beginning, like, oh, we're going to read fairy tales. We're going to be princesses. Hate this. But the more we study it, the more it's actually a story about sons and mothers and the relationship between sons and mothers. And it's, I mean, I hate to use the phrase, but it's a boy book. So it's delightful to hand them that and then walk them through the process of listening closely and being delighted by the world that he's created and the, I don't know, it's just kind of sumptuous. The setting is so delightful. And then the themes really catch at your heart. If you're a mom, you cry by the end. And I'm not even a mom and I sob at the end of that story. So the kids always look at me like, what in the world is the matter with you? <laughs> Pull yourself together, Miss Andrews. <laughs> yeah. My kids definitely know mom will cry and, or get goosebumps pretty much with every story. Yes. It's just her thing. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm convinced and we'll add that to my library hold list. But... Good. <laughs> Well, do you see any of these kinds of questions or way of approaching literature either change or develop as kids mm. hit the middle school, junior high years? Yeah, absolutely. I would say with, with little kids, my, my main thing that I see is that their delight is easy to access. Their imaginations are right on the surface. And as long as you can convince them that this book is for them, that the author was thinking about them, they're ready to enjoy it. But the older you get, the more nuance there is in a work of art, in a, a book for older kids. And it's sometimes harder to convince them that there's something to enjoy in it. Like I'm thinking of short stories that I work with my junior high kids on, like The Most Dangerous Game or um, To Build a Fire, Jack London. Those are not as much fun on the surface and in fact can be dark and kind of gritty. But I think that if they're trained to listen closely, there is something of merit even there. And so it feels a little bit like if we go back to the conversation metaphor, um, some friends you'd want your kid to be a little bit careful of. You want them to have discernment in choosing their friends, um, but be able to listen closely and identify whether that person has things in common with them. And I think Jack London has some good things to say. I'm not sure I'd want my kid to hang out with him all the time. Maybe not without adult supervision, but I think the older the kid gets, the more um, freedom you can give him to interact with those heavy hitter uh, artists that they, will, that they will read frequently in high school and beyond. So the difficulty level of the work I would give them would change, but the pattern of our class would stay the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And if you've set this good foundation of here's how we approach humbly, mm -hmm. ready to listen, understand yeah. what the author's saying, you know, search for things that we can relate to and delight in. If yes. you set that foundation simply when they're young and their eyes are just wide open, excited yeah. and delighted about all those things, I think it makes it so much easier because they're mm. already in that habit of approaching yes. words in that way. And so it makes it easier mm -hmm. um, later on when the, the content is a little bit more complicated because they're yeah. not having to, to come up with a new way of approaching literature. It's like the same, only exactly. deeper. Yeah. yeah. And my hope is because I'm just thinking about to build a fire some more, it's not delightful. There's nothing um, light and sunny about to build a fire. But it's cold and dark. In fact, it's cold and dark. Exactly. But there are things that the reader should still relate to. They should be called to identify still with the main character. 
in deeper ways and maybe uh, more convicting ways. And perhaps their emotional intelligence has grown up enough that they can identify not just sunny, happy things, but things that are difficult and hard uh, in themselves as they read along. Now let's hear from podcast sponsor and Sloan family favorite, Mr. D himself from Mr. D Math. Does your child love math, surpassing your ability to teach them? Or maybe you have a child struggling in math and you're looking for a solution that will help them finally get it. You want your teen to understand, love, and enjoy their math curriculum. Is that too much to ask? At Mr. D Math, we've got you covered. Many times a young person says they hate math simply because it hasn't been explained in a way that makes sense to them. At Mr. D Math, our teachers are dedicated to providing accessible support, instructing with clarity, and making math fun. We work with students from around the world, helping connect educational concepts to their everyday lives and exposing them to endless possibilities and potential for their futures. Head to MrDMath.com to check out our live and self-paced course options for math, life skills, test prep, and more. We even have courses to get your child ready for high school math or help them catch up or get ahead in a semester or less. Go to MrDMath.com or click the link in the show notes to see how Mr. D Math can bring clarity and joy to your homeschool. Now a thing that a writer does, the arctics and nine violet clothes. Oh my heart. That little clip is of my youngest daughter when she was just two years old, and she was lisping her way along with our family's Shakespeare memory, the very same Shakespeare that I was memorizing with the rest of the kids in morning time. Can you really introduce your your kids to Shakespeare? Can you easily include Shakespeare's works in your homeschool curriculum? Shakespeare for kids? Surely that is a crazy idea. But let me reassure you, exploring Shakespeare with your children can be fun and easy. And if you don't believe me, I challenge you to watch my free Getting Started with Shakespeare workshop, where you can explore some of the resources I rounded up, learn my three quick tips for getting started with Shakespeare, and then you'll be on your way to exploring Shakespeare's masterpieces with your kids of all ages. You can head to humilityanddoxology.com slash exploring dash Shakespeare dash children, or just check the link in the show notes for more details. Well, how does this relate to our approach to poetry? I can see, Mm. I think someone listening could say, okay, I can see that with stories. That makes sense to me. But how do we take this kind of approach to teaching poetry, especially in these younger years? Absolutely. Well, I think the poetry is is wordplay. At its heart, poetry is all about the sound quality of words, meeting with their meaning. So uh, words actually almost being personified to communicate even more than just a simple sentence. So literary devices are really at the heart of poetry. They're these, these tools that a poet uses to dress up his writing and make it speak on many different levels. So I think with, with little kids, um, giving them the idea that the, the poem is a living thing that's singing to them and that it's got a sound quality that they can appreciate first before they need to dive in and understand the meaning is part and parcel with the same idea of discussion, that you're listening first and looking for things to delight in. The sound of the word itself is the very beginning of a poetry class. When we recite poems in our morning time, we've been doing poetry 
just as with a mixture, a wide range of ages for many years now. And it's really fun how even the younger kids, maybe one of the poems is more complex and the older Mm -hmm. children are getting more of the themes and ideas. And the younger ones probably don't have any idea what the poem is talking about, but they still just enjoy saying it because with poetry, it's almost like you can taste it on your tongue as you're saying some of these lines. And as we say them together, I think that's really powerful too. You're not just reading it and trying to hear it in your own ear, but you're saying it with other people. And I think that makes it, oh, I mean, it makes it more fun for me and, you know, I'm an adult, but definitely for children. Yeah. Well, and it's communal, of course. So you feel like you can hear everybody sitting around the table and thinking along with you, which is the same idea as the great conversation in literature. You can't hear everyone reading that book along with you, but with poetry, you can a little bit more and it's delightful. You feel like you're part of something. Yes. And with, with poems like the destruction of Sennacherib, where the, the meter yeah. is driving, you know, how many times have children like <laughs> galloping around the room in yes. time to the poem, because it demands you move your body in a certain way. And, I you know, I'm not that. sitting there like, well, let's analyze the meter of right. this poem at this moment when you're five. How many stresses do you hear? Yes, <laughs> exactly. But the four-year-old, the five-year-old, they just know and they move mm-hmm. their body accordingly. So it's fun. Oh my goodness. That's why A.A. Milne poetry is so fun. Just the happiness, that poem about skipping that just demands to be skipped around the room. Just delightful. The kid doesn't know what he's learning then, but he's getting an introduction to meter and what meter is and how it drives the poem like an engine. So delightful. Definitely. Well, what would you say to the person who's like, well, you know, yeah, okay, we can just sort of enjoy the poems together and that seems Mm. good enough. We don't need to be talking to children about literary devices or, (laughs) you know, that will just ruin the joy of the reading. We just want them to just like organically absorb all of this. You know, how, (laughs) you know, you can see like, okay, well, I was obviously talking Mm. about that a little bit. There's a part of that that's true, but how would you respond to that kind of perspective? Mm. Well, I've definitely heard this before and from a variety of sources. So my first instinct would be to wonder if that, that mom, if we're talking to a homeschool mom, if she's overwhelmed and this is one too many. And I would say to that homeschool mom, do not overload yourself. There's time for these whenever. I mean, some of these literary devices, I didn't learn until college and they improved my understanding and helped me enjoy it more whenever I discovered them. But I think there's also something to be said for watching a a master artist at work in his process. That's delightful. It's fun to know, to to watch him put things together and to know how things work the way that they do. I would say to that homeschool mom, along with Anne Shirley, oh, Marilla, how much you miss. If you don't know how the poem is put together, there's so much enjoyment that you're missing. So you don't have to with every poem, of course. Sometimes the sound quality alone is enough particularly with little, little kids. Sometimes you just want to read them some A.A. Milne and not overanalyze. But I think there's always uh, delight examining, oh, look, we know this literary device. We've heard this in another poem. It kind of increases their understanding of that conversation. So I think it's still, it still is fun, even for littles. I tend to do it. Yeah, it's, I just don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think sometimes we think, well, either we're going to be learning the whys and the wherefores, or we're going to be enjoying the poem itself. And I think right. they can go beautifully together. You can both enjoy it and not dissect it like you're, right. you know, in biology lab and just tear it into its pieces, you know, and smell like formaldehyde. Oh, that sounds <laughs> terrible. 
<laughs> but deep we can dive. still, I it. <laughs> right, like learn about how a frog, you know, is put together mm-hmm. and created in these amazing ways that it's designed perfectly for its environment. Right. And then that makes us appreciate the beauty of the frog more. And so, you know, in a yes. similar way with poetry, understanding how it's put together can make us appreciate the beauty more. Yes, I think so too, particularly when you are turning your attention from just reading the poem to hoping your student can write one. These literary devices are a great bridge to empower your student and and kind of light their imagination on fire again. We recognize this literary device in a Winnie the Pooh poem, and now I want you to use it. And it's easy to just ask them to do, all right, let's try alliteration. Write me a sentence that has alliteration in it. If they have a definition of what alliteration is, all of a sudden they've got a reason to be diving into wordplay themselves. So it's kind of helpful as a bridge. Yeah, definitely. In our current morning time this month, we are uh, reciting, uh, I must go down to the sea again by John Maysfield. Mm and uh, crossing the bar, Alfred Lord Tennyson. And so we were actually talking Mm. about some of the alliteration in one of the poems. And as we were looking at them together, we realized that there was a phrase, an alliterative phrase that occurred, the Mm. same phrase in both poems. And we wrote, our minds were blown. That's so fun. Yes, it was amazing. Delightful. Exactly. (laughs) So much fun. (laughs) Look at you go. (laughs) Oh, I know that probably another reason that some moms may be hesitant to like, think about including this in their homeschool day is they don't know themselves, right? They're overwhelmed thinking, I don't even know these literary devices. How in the world Mm. am I supposed to teach them to my kids? And I know you have a new book coming out. So that might help them and bridge that gap. So tell us all about it. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Well, I'm excited too. It's called Hop, Skip, and a Rhyme. And the purpose of this little book is to be kind of like a handbook on your shelf as a homeschool mom or as a picture book for your little kid. It could serve both purposes. But basically what I've done is taken some of the most common, the ones that appear the most literary devices, um, written a little poem about them. So the poem is supposed to, first of all, define the literary device for the parent so that they can understand it. And then it uses that literary device over and over again for the rest of the poem. And then I have a little illustration so that they're fun to look at and hopefully keep your kid's attention. Um, But they're supposed to define and use like as an example. So if you wanted to, as a teacher, you could take one of these poems and analyze the poem to look for the literary device. And it could be a whole lesson in and of itself. That's my hope. But there are, I think there are 15 in the book. Well, I love that too, because it's sort of very open and go, like someone doesn't have to have one yeah. book. Okay, here's alliteration. Now I've got to dig out my poetry book off find the shelf. Find some examples. Try to yeah. find you know, an example. It'll be right there. So very easy exactly. to just open it up and read and enjoy it together. That's really That's exciting. Hope. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. Well, what are the illustrations like? I'm very curious. I've mm. seen the cover. I've seen the cover, but I haven't yet seen the inside. Although hopefully by the time this fun. comes out, I will have bought my own copy. But yeah. what is, the, is it pen and ink or mm. watercolor or what kind of style? So there were a couple different mediums that I used. I am a huge fan of charcoal and chalk together on like colored paper because it kind of jumps off the page and is really vibrant. So most of them are charcoal and chalk um, drawings. But then there are a couple that have color as well, some some pastel and some colored pencil kind of thrown throughout just for little bursts of color because littles like like for it to be colorful. But for the most part, charcoal and chalk. 
I'm so excited. That will be fun. I know it'll be a useful resource for, for many families. I hope so. Well, Megan, here at the end, I want to ask you a question. I'm asking everyone Mm. this season, and that's just, what are you personally reading lately? Oh my goodness. What a fun question. I, my attention is a little scattered these days. I'm reading a lot of different things at different levels. So I'm reading Dune because of the fact that the movie just came out and I've never really read a lot of science fiction. So it's like a hole in my own education. So I'm about halfway through that and I think it's a great story, but maybe not my favorite genre. (laughs) So reading that wouldn't recommend to little kids, but I'm enjoying it. Um, I am reading a kid's book, though, at the recommendation of my elementary class. It's called Wildwood. I can't remember the name of the author right now, but it's a series. I think there are three books in the series. And it reminds me of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe a little bit. It's like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe meets a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. So very fantastical, maybe a little bit darker than Lewis, but, um, but so far beautiful. And it's set in the Pacific Northwest which I have a soft place in my heart for. So the atmosphere is very homey to me. I think it's set in Portland and I'm from Washington state. So close, but I would definitely recommend it so far. I'm only halfway, but I'm loving it. So I'm working on those two right now. So is that like middle grade fiction then? Same, yeah. Yeah, I would say probably junior high. I think some elementary kids, a precocious elementary kid could like it, but I think probably seventh grade is perfect. All right. Well, I will have to add that to our list. As you can imagine, we're always trying to find new books to feed the insatiable appetite of some of my young readers. So, Of course. Oh my goodness. And you can't try library shelf, but so far I would recommend this one. Okay. Well, I will add that to our holds. Megan, Um, where can people find you all around the internet? mm, Well, mostly I'm to be found at Center for Lit and we have uh, two different websites centerforlit.com is our kind of our flagship website, but then we also have a membership society called the Pelican Society, and I am throughout the Pelican Society as well. So um, if you if you want me, I'm at Center for Lit. <laughs> okay, sounds great. Megan, thank you so much for coming and chatting today and just sharing a little bit of this perspective on teaching literature to our younger children. I'm really excited to be able to share thank this you. with Humility and Doxology listeners. Thanks for having me, Amy. Thanks for listening in on this week's Homeschool Conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool-conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, Would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. Let's repent of our constant striving, relish the joy of learning, and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.